The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to episode number 52 of Parking the Bus. It is night 12. I'm sorry, I think this is episode number 53. I misspoke. This is episode number 53, night 12 of Parking the Bus here on the PTB Media Network. And I'm your host, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinu. And today we are talking about Group D. That's all we had tonight, um, or earlier today, I should say. Group D, two matches taken uh, taken on in primetime. England versus the Czech Republic. And Scotland versus Croatia. So, again, this was... Um, the two matches didn't really affect each other too much in terms of qualification. It ended up affecting the table, but basically each team in each match controlled their own destiny today. So it was a little bit less um, less dramatic as yesterday. Of course, uh, the matches kind of went true to form as you had the teams that were expected to win a win today. And the table looks like most of us would have picked it to look and um, let's start tonight by looking at the table in the in the Pick'em Challenge, okay? So I'm going to pull that up for you right now, and we're going to start by looking at the table in the Pick'em, as now we have another group completed, so we have more results to show, and I'll bring that up for you right now. That's not it. And there, that is somebody's that is somebody's card there. That it's not what I meant to put up. Let's let's try that again. Take two here. Um, as you can see, it's been a long day today. It is only Tuesday, but it is night twelve. This is the twelfth night in a row of coming on here and podcasting for you guys. With and I did it again. It's the. 12th night in a row of coming on here talking Euro 2020. And I will admit there is some fatigue starting to set in. Uh, there's been a lot less sleep the last couple days. But there we go. Here is the table. And there you see our buddy JMP, James Allen Arnold, is top of the table along with at Remo Cray. And they both have 14 points right now. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, that is that is our... Our friend Fades there uh, tied with JMP, so it looks like they're both in a good spot there uh, near the top of the table with 14 points. DMAC and 
my friend Mario up in Toronto are tied for third along with Alexi Taran and E. Unum, thir- uh, 1904. They've all got 13 points. Nuno Pereira and my wife Miriam and Claudio Abruñosa Pardal, Brian Hanford all have 12 points. They're tied for 7th. Lucas Diedrich is 11th, tied with with uh, with my father. Fernando there, he also with 11. And at James Makes Picks is also in there at uh, 11th with 11 points. Tiago Gomes and Josh Marsal are tied for 14th with 10, as is at Moonblast X, also with 10. Leo uh, DGens United is 17th, tied with Zachary Grimes. He's they both got nine points, and then my two accounts are down here at the bottom. You can see the PTV Media Network not doing so well. I guess predicting isn't really my thing. Um, I was so confident too in the picks I had, but uh, the PTV Media Network account has eight points, 19th place, fighting to stay out of the relegation zone. Matthew Cadet has a seven points in twentieth. Mr. Benfica, my other my other uh set of picks is in twenty first and definitely in the relegation zone and my I'm only ahead of my five year old son. And uh let let's just for fun look at his his card. He's got Wales playing Austria in the final, so I suppose both of his finalists are still there. But Scotland and Turkey, his other two uh, semi-finalists, are no longer in the competition. But, um, yeah, he, he wanted to pick different teams, so that's what he went with. So, basically, you lose to him, you get kicked out of the league. That's just going to be a rule. Um, you don't just get relegated. You get relegated back to the amateur levels. You go down two or three levels if you lose to my five-year-old son. But, Again, um, England today took care of business, but unconvincingly, in my opinion, um, Fade My Plays won't be able to be here tonight, but he did send a message and a public service announcement. He requested that I tell everybody that England is trash, Croatia's okay, and Scotland is terrible. So, um, well, he he sent me that in a message, and um, I guess we will we can talk about England first. I had both games on. Okay, well during my work day, I had two screens. I had uh, half of the screen on one, half on the other, and I had one one um, earbud in with with the Scotland commentary. I had Derek Ray and Effin Okoku calling it for ESPN, and um, that was the game that I think was more interesting uh, because they were both playing. They could have both been eliminated. They could have, you know, one of them been eliminated. Either of them with a win would have advanced, so I was a little more interested in the result of that match. And as you heard yesterday, we talked about staying away from England because you never know what they're going to do. And um, again, we'll we'll get to England in a uh, Let's start with England, actually. Uh, I'm going to bring it up here on my phone, and I'm going to bring up the lineups. England was... Um, had some lineup changes, not a whole lot, but they had some. And looking at it here, uh, not who you've heard me advocating for, who you've heard me campaigning to get into the starting 11. That didn't happen. There was no Jaden Sancho in the 11 again. He got about 10 minutes of run time towards the end of the match. But for the most part, we did not see Jaden Sancho again today, which is a little bit frustrating and makes you wonder. Um, Casey Keller said after the match on ESPN, he thinks maybe that that Jaden Sancho just hasn't proven enough in the national team, doesn't have enough 
caps or whatever. Uh, I disagree. I think it has to do with where he plays his club football. I hate to say it. But I think there is an elitism within Garrett Southgate and his 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 staff towards Premier League players. Jaden Sancho played in the Champions League. Okay? I mean, he he played in the Bundesliga. This this is not a guy who's playing in a in a lower, you know, in a mid tier league in Central Europe. He's not playing in the championship for crying out loud. He's playing in the Bundesliga. Let's go to the lineups, and um, I'll start with the Czech Republic for this one. We're at Wembley, of course, and actually I'll get you the attendance for this um, at Wembley today. The attendance was 19,104. Word is there'll be 45,000 in the house for the round of 16 match. Of course, they've got a tough round of 16 match now that they've won the group. They're going to play the second-place team out of Group F, so they're going to play either Germany, France, or Portugal. Most likely, it's going to be Germany, I think. Or it could be, actually, it could be France. If Portugal get a result against France tomorrow, France will come in second, which I don't think they're going to mind. Germany, I expect to beat Hungary. They, they'll win the group. And Portugal coming in third and advancing that way. I I think that's the most probable of results. I do think that Portugal, are gonna, they have something to prove now and can can get a result here against a France team that um, is already through. Yes, they, they want to win the group, but do maybe, just maybe they want to play England. Who knows? Um, because the road isn't so bad after that. And it looks like, uh, you know, again, it's probably going to be either France or it's going to be Germany. Either way, it's not good news for England. Either way, um I don't think they want to play either team to be honest. They can say what they they can say whatever they say, but I don't believe that you know they're going to want to play either of these teams deep down. But um the referee today was the Portuguese referee Artur Soares Dias, a guy I cannot stand. And it's no surprise that the Czech Republic lost today because they were wearing red and Soares Dias was the referee. And those that follow Mr. Benfica know what I mean by that. Uh, his name came comes up more often than any other referee in that podcast. Uh, the starting 11 for the Czech Republic now. Um, in goal, in goal we have Thomas Vachlik. Uh, four across the back. It's a 4-2-3-1. Very common formation. A lot of teams are playing this, this system of play in this tournament. As well as in the Copa America as well. Thomas Vashlik, like we said, is the goalkeeper. Four across the back. The right back is Vladimir Kufal, Andre Selutska, and Thomas Kalas, the center back pairing with Jan Boril as the left back. The double pivot in midfield. Thomas Socek of West Ham United. He is he's uh, in the start, and he is one of their better players and well-known by this England team because he plays in the in the Premier League, of course. Thomas Holes is his partner in the double pivot. The three attacking midfielders uh, anchored by the center attacking midfielder or the cam, as the kids call him these days, as you as the young young FIFA nation or the FIFA generation, I should say, calls them. Uh, Vladimir Darida to his left, Jakob Janko, and to his right, Lucas Mausapust, and they're playing behind the striker from. Bayer Leverkusen, Patrick Schick for England now. So a few changes, but as we know, Ben Chilwell 
and and Mason Mount not available. They were isolating. Um, again, it, I'm with Garrett Southgate on this. I don't understand how they're the only two that came in quote unquote close contact with with Billy Gilmore of Scotland. I mean, Billy Gilmore played 70 or 80 minutes in the match. He tackled players. He was face-to-face with players. The referee came to close contact with them. It's like I get the rules, and I know that every country has its own rules, and this is a protocol in the U.K., but it's not like COVID goes away inside the four lines of the field. The players play the game assuming that risk. So whether they're shoulder-to-shoulder on the pitch or in the tunnel walking to the locker room, it's a bit ridiculous to then isolate players who are asymptomatic for rubbing shoulders in the tunnel but not on the pitch. I mean, there's no science behind that. I'm sorry. There is absolutely no science behind that. That is totally pleasing governments and pleasing health officials. And and to be honest, it's, it's cowering to them. Because that makes no logical sense. Anybody with any bit, any bit of critical thinking ability says, wait a minute. If that transmits the, this virus in the tunnel, then all 22 players on the pitch probably bumped shoulders with Billy Gilmore while he's sweating, mind you, bodily fluids in the, in the match. So I'm with Garrett Southgate on this. This makes no sense. I mean, he's conforming, obviously. He's going along with the rules. He's playing nice. Because that's kind of the, the world we live in right now. That's the conditions we have to play by. But, again, this makes absolutely no sense. And then in the same tournament in another country, we have 67,000 people in the stands. And I'm glad. I'm glad we have that. There should be that in more places. All right. going to get back to the football before I, I turn away everybody that disagrees with, with my views on this. Um, feel free to disagree. I, again, I will always defend your right to disagree with me. Okay. I know when I take an opinion and I take a stance that I now have the responsibility to not, I cannot silence those who disagree with me. Your right to speech is my right to speech. So I, I don't care how offensive you are towards me. I defend your right to, to. To say that, I defend your right to speak your mind. Okay, because if I can speak my mind, you can speak yours. And I will always defend your right to do that regardless of whether or not I agree with your message. That's just one of my core values. But back to football. Okay, so as we know, Mason Mount, Ben Chilwell not in the, in the team. Um, that brings, you know, interestingly enough, well, Jordy Pickford is the goalkeeper, of course. Uh, four two three one, same formation. Kyle Walker returns at right back. I thought maybe we'd get to see Karen Trippier. Nope, 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 nope. Again, a guy that doesn't play in the Premier League. He's only you know best eleven in La Liga. How could he possibly get on this team, right? How could he possibly get on this team when he plays at left back? You say he's not a left back, but then you got Kyle Walker as your right back. Come on, get real for a minute. Anyway, John Stones. Partners with Harry Maguire, who returns to the lineup first. Uh, it's his first football in, in about two months, um, starting for England today. Luke Shaw returns at left back over 
previously aforementioned Karen Trippia, who also played left back in the in the first match and actually played quite well. Again, it, it makes no sense. A lot of what of what Gareth Southgate does here makes very little sense. I don't think he knows what he's doing yet. I think he's still experimenting through the entire group stage. Well, guess what? You got a real big match coming up on Saturday, Sunday, whenever. And you better be ready. You better be ready, Garrett Southgate. Because this ain't going to be... You're not playing the minnows anymore. You're not playing the the middle-of-the-road teams anymore. The teams that are just happy to be there. You're playing against... No matter what, you're playing a contender in the next round. Double pivot in midfield. Declan Rice partnering with Calvin Phillips. Three attacking mids in front of him. Jack Grillish gets the start. In the number 10 position today with Raheem Sterling to his left. And Bukayo Saka gets the start over Jaden Sancho to his right. So again, Jaden Sancho cannot get on this on this team. And, you know, Bukayo Saka is even less experienced than him at the international level, to go on Casey Keller's theory. And, I mean, he's young too. He's 19, but he plays for Arsenal. He didn't play in the Champions League. He didn't play in the Champions League this year. Who's more tested at this level? A guy that plays for Arsenal or a guy that plays for Borussia Dortmund? Come on. Harry Kane is the striker once again in front of them. So, uh, Raheem Sterling nearly scores early on. He hits the post. He makes a nice little run. It was It was a better... At least in maybe the first half hour or so, a better performance from Raheem Sterling today. But again, he I don't see that explosion out of him. Maybe here and there, but he, he's not the player he was. I think there's a real big fatigue in him. And I think when he's up against serious defenders, you know, i.e. anyone in France's back line or even... Even the Germans, because they defend as a unit. We can call them slow all you want, but they defend as a unit. And what Germany did to Portugal, they can do to anybody. If you're going to play with a double pivot, hold two holding midfielders, they can bypass those and can, and, and they can they can call that play every single time. They can hit Gosling every single time. They showed that. And guess what? If Gosling wasn't on, Kimmich is on on the other side. They're just as good as going right as they are going left. So I'm not sure this is the best way if they get if they draw Germany to to approach it. And I think it's going to isolate Harry Kane to be much like Cristiano Ronaldo in an island up there all by himself, forcing him to retreat and come deeper and deeper and deeper to get himself involved in the play. Again, um, England looked good for for moments. They looked good in in phases of this match. But again, it looked like a routine run-through. It looked like a rehearsal. It looked like a training match or a preseason match. They get the goal, okay? And that goal comes... It comes in the 12th minute. It comes early. And it is Raheem Sterling off a header. Okay, he scores on a header from Jack Grealish with the assist. And got to see a little bit more of Jack Grealish today. 
And you hear a lot about Jack Grealish, and it was better than what we've seen up to this point. Of course, he gets the start, and he gets time to get into the match, to get you know the blood flowing, get the heart pumping, get into that aerobic zone versus the anaerobic zone, and always the huffing and puffing. He gets that recovery, drops that heart rate back into that aerobic zone, and when he, once you get there, you can play. You know, your body is working for you. You're moving. You know, he, he's spraying balls. He's finding teammates. It was it was a better performance from Jack Grealish. And actually on Fop Mob, they have him as the man of the match. Uh, they have him with the 7.7 rating. And the thing is, England scores in the 12th minute and takes off the gas a little bit. Um, the Czech Republic, all too happy to just lose 1-0. They know they're going through. Um, whether it's in second or in third, I don't think makes a difference to the Czech Republic from the way they approach this match. They had very few opportunities to score. They had very few times where they threatened. And I think that it's um, just, again, another team that's happy to be here, happy to be going to the round of 16. And that kind of attitude is going to get is going to be eliminated quickly in the round of 16. Well, well, they ended up in third, so we're going to have to wait and see where they're going. Um, there could be traveling involved, of course. Uh, they could have stayed right where they are in, in, in England had they gotten a result today, had they gotten a draw. But I don't know that they wanted to win the group. There was, In the way that they approached this match and in the way they played, there was little evidence to tell me they want to win this group. I think they want to avoid <laughs> playing the third-place team from Group H. Group F, excuse me. I think they wanted second, and they were hoping they'd get help to keep second and play second place in Group E. Um, but that's not how it played out, as you know. And, well, the two teams see out the 90 minutes. Let's look at some stats here. Uh, again, I, I was unimpressed with England. I expect a lot more from these players. I expect a lot more from this level of talent that they have at their disposal. But it looks like they have a manager who's not sure which way he's going. It looks like he's. It looks like he is not sure what kind of team he has. He doesn't know what his identity as a team is. You have a strong, athletic, fast English team, and he's trying to play Spanish. He's trying to play short passes. It started well, and then as soon as they got the lead, it, it's slow, slow, prodding buildup. Boom, boom. You know, very slow, very methodical. That's not going to work at the next round. You can't just turn it on when the opponent is finally someone you respect. Now, I know that the anal the performance analysts in his staff have done a lot of homework on the teams that have won the last three tournaments. And that, of course, is the 2018 World Cup France, the 2016 Euro, Portugal, and the 2014 World Cup Germany. Okay, They have analyzed this data. I heard this on TalkSport this morning, early in the morning. They have analyzed the data of those teams, and they have seen that the key players play fewer minutes than they realized. And it looks like he's managing minutes in the group stage, which is fine. But they're getting away from their football. They're playing a style that's slow, 
And I think it's because he's trying to conserve energy. But he's also they're also playing a style that's giving them bad habits. That's not who they are. They are not Spain. They are not Italy. Okay? That's not who they are. That's not where their strengths lie. They're a lot more like Germany than they are like Italy or Spain. If I'm Gareth Southgate, I'm looking at the German approach, and I'm trying to see how can I copy it. Okay? Okay. I can get my wingbacks forward and I can overload the opponents you know if the opponent sits back I overload with my wing backs I've still got my double pivot in midfield which have some decent pace there I've got rice and I've got Phillips that can that can provide cover I've got pace in Kyle Walker and in Luke Shaw in this case that can get back okay I've got John Stones and Harry Maguire who don't need the same type of extra help that maybe a Pepe needs for Portugal, for example. Just explain, just looking at the way other teams have stayed true to themselves, I think. And I think England right now are not being true to themselves. They're not being English, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. I could be wrong. You can disagree with me. That's totally fine. But this is what, as a neutral, as an outsider, looking on, this is the observation I'm making. Now, you can say this is for the better. This is a change for the better. All the power to you if that's what they're going for. But I don't see how they're going to beat a Germany, beat a France, beat a Belgium like this. I don't see how they're going to exploit. Let's let's point out Belgium. How are they going to exploit the slow pace of the back line of Belgium? Their Achilles heel. With this type of slow buildup. Or do they think they can just snap their fingers and turn into Route 1 football when, when, when the match calls for it? Maybe that's the plan. I think that that's very, very hard to do. I think it's very hard to just change your methodology, methodology change your, your focus, change your psychological outlook at the drop of a dime just because the opponent changes. Um, they've been very stubborn. They haven't shown flexibility in this group stage. They've been very, very rigid. And, and by they, I mean the staff. In the way that they've put these players out and in the style that they've chosen to play. They get the 1-0 win today. They take the group, okay? They got seven points. I guess it is mission accomplished. They advanced. That's a big part of it in these tournaments. Just advancing is a big, big part of it. But, but, do they look confident to you? Do they look like a team that's firing on all cylinders? Or do they look like a team that think they can just show up in the round of 16, flip a switch, and go into knockout stage mode just like that? These players are tired, as is every team. Okay, they've just played the longest season in the history of professional football because they just squeezed a season and a half, more or less, into the time frame of a season. There was almost no off-season last summer. Okay, they're going on their 15th month of competitive play, practically, with maybe three weeks off in there, a, a total. Okay, so there's fatigue. There is not a player in this tournament who's not fatigued right now. So it's naive, in my opinion... To think you can just arrive at the round of 16, all of a sudden see 45,000 people at Wembley, 
And uh, okay, that's France, but we're gonna turn it on now. Okay, we're gonna turn it on and we're gonna show them, show them who we are, and it's coming home. It it looks like a naive approach from a manager that I think is in over his head, and I don't always like to criticize managers. They have a very hard job. Okay, they have a hard work. They all have a hard working staff under them, doing a lot of work with a lot of long sleepless nights, collecting data. Analyzing footage, okay, uh, analyzing performances, scouting opponents, trying to get that extra half inch of advantage or of leverage to squeak out the results. But it looks like the, the man leading, leading the staff, to me, just appears in over his head or is living in this utopian football world where... Um, where he's just he's trying to make his team into something they're not, in my opinion. That's just what I see. These and you know we talked about it last night, in the night or the night before. Last time we talked about England, these players don't play this way in their teams. They play a different style in whether they play at City, Chelsea, Leeds United, uh, Tottenham, wherever they play their football. Um, Manchester United, if you're talking about Harry uh, Harry Maguire and Marcus Rashford, for example, and Luke Shaw. Okay, Arsenal. Maybe Arsenal plays more of this kind of style, but where does Arsenal fit in the table? Where does this style get Arsenal, right? Maybe if you're going to play this style, you need more Arsenal players, which I wouldn't advise. But they, they're taking players, that and, and he's taking them out of what they do best, in my opinion, and asking them to be something else. It'd be the equivalent of Luis Enrique telling Spain to all of a sudden play a low, deep-lying block counterattack style. Those players don't have that in them. They don't play that way. It's incredibly frustrating to watch England. As a, even as a neutral, I'm not rooting for or against them. I'm watching them with curiosity as to what they're going to do next or how they're going to approach it. I look at them and I'm waiting to see, you know, some sign. It's got to be more than 10 or 15 minutes there or get the goal and then and then settle in. I don't know. I They're up for a real test in the next round. That is... For sure, some player ratings um, for England. Jordan Pickford, 7.5. Kyle Walker, 7.2. John Stone, 7.4. Harry Maguire, 7.6. Luke Shaw, 7.4. Calvin Phillips, 7.1. Declan Rice, 6.6. Bukayo Saka, 7.4. Jack Relish, as we said, top rating, 7.7. Raheem Sterling, 7.3. And Harry Maguire, 7.2. Overall, very favorable ratings, but of course, they connected a lot of passes. They, they possessed. They didn't make a lot of mistakes. So the ratings are going to be are going to be skewed that way. For the Czech Republic, Thomas Vaslik six point one, Kufal seven point two, Salutska six point five, Kalas six point two, Boril six point seven, uh, Tommy Holes seven point one, Thomas Suchek seven point one. Lucas Masopust, 6.6. Vladimir Darida, 6.3. He 
Jakub Janko 6.1 and Patrick Schick 6.4. So not bad ratings for the Czech Republic either. Looking at a couple of key stats. Again, the English had more of the possession, 56% to 44 uh, both teams had about the same amount of chances created. England combined 120 more passes than the Czech Republic, thus the higher ratings. Um, 84% pass efficiency. Each team committed 10 fouls. And in the end, it's England going home with the 1-0 victory. Group stage done for them. Let's go to Hamden Park then and look at Croatia versus Scotland. This is the battle to see who's going home and who's advancing. In the other match, they kind of already knew who was going home and who was advancing. In this one, a little less clear cut. Of course, Scotland, the the lovable disaster, if you want to call them, the, the glorious defeat, which is so much in their history, looking for the first time in their national team history to get out of the group stage of a major tournament. Unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be. Here is Scotland's 11. 3-5-2 is their formation of choice for their manager, Steve Clark. David Marshall's the goalkeeper. The three in the back, Scott McTominay, Grant Hanley, and Kieran Tierney. Five across the midfield. Uh, Stephen O'Donnell and Andrew Robertson, of course, are the wingbacks. Uh, Callum McGregor, John McGinn, and Stuart Armstrong in the middle of the park playing behind Lyndon Dykes and Shea Adams. For Croatia, some changes were made in this lineup. Um, Dominic Livakovic is back in goal. 4-2-3-1 for them. Again, the, the, this is the most popular system of play, the most popular formation in this tournament. Joseph, Joseph Juranovic is the right back. Dejan Lovren and Demagog. Vida are the center back pairing with Josko Gvardiol at left back. They double pivot in midfield today. Kovacic and Brozovic. They moved. They've moved Luka Modric up. He's the captain, of course, playing in his number ten role in his natural role as a number ten. He's got Nikola Vlasic to his left and Ivan Perisic to his right. And the striker is Bruno Petkovic, who is in place. Of Rebic, Avante Rebic today, uh, just one of the many, the many changes in the team, and again a, a victory for either team, and they would advance. And Croatia have not been good. I wouldn't even say they've been good thus far. They were pretty good today. It looks like they're, you know, they as an older team, they are taking a slower start. And it looks like they're trending in the right direction. And if they play like this, they're going to be dangerous in the round of 16. We'll wait and see who they play. But um, Croatia are in a straight shootout with Scotland for the final qualification spot in Group D. And although even a point may not be enough, um, and actually a point would not have been enough for, for these two teams. They came in with one point. A draw, they would have each left with two points and would have been eliminated. Um, the two sides would have to play for the win. A win for Croatia would send them through, and they could still overhaul the Czech Republic for second place in the group. Uh, Zlatko Dalic, the manager, his men have been underwhelming to date, losing against England, drawing against the Czechs. 
an improvement is required if it, if they are to be seen through. Scotland's preparations, as we talked about last night, were rocked by the positive COVID-19 test to Billy Gilmore, asymptomatic but positive nonetheless. The Chelsea midfielder ruled out of this contest. Unfortunately, though, he is okay, and no other member of the team has contracted the virus or has been forced to isolate. Again, I've talked about that. Somehow, ironically, it's it's his opponents that were the only ones who came in close enough contact to him. I don't know what bus he sits on. He must sit by himself. What plane he flies on where no one sits next to him. Who He, he must have a room to himself in the hotel. It's, it's I don't know. It, he must sit alone when they have their meal. It doesn't make sense. But anyway... Um, Dalic, as we said, the manager for Croatia, made four changes to his side that drew against the Czech Republic last time out. Juranovic comes in in the back line to replace uh, Versaliko. Uh, Kramaric, Brekalo, and Rebic all make way in the final third for Brozovic, Vlasic, and Petkovic. And the match gets a bit of a boost in the 17th minute. This is the game that I was actually listening to the audio of. And it is Vlasic rewarding the manager for his confidence and for putting him in the starting 11. Nikola Vlasic fires Croatia ahead in the 17th. Dalic's men take the lead through a close-range finish from Vlasic. Perisic rises at the far back post ahead. The ball across the face of the goal into the path of Vlasic. And he manages to take a touch under pressure before placing his low effort around McTominay and past Marshall into the bottom left corner. 1-0 to Croatia. Nice assist here for Ivan Perisic, who is getting better each match as well. Very, very ex- uh, ex- experienced attacker for this side. But... Um, Lovren would go in the book in the 26th minute. Moving ahead, we get a substitution in the 33rd as Hanley picks up an injury and he goes down and he needs to be substituted. Scott McKenna comes on. Grant Hanley goes off. And McKenna immediately picks up a yellow card for a poor lunge one minute after entering the match. But right before halftime in the 42nd minute, Hamden Park comes alive because it is Callum McGregor who fires home the equalizer. And McGregor blasts home an equalizer. 1-1 at Hamden Park. It erupts like we said. McGregor rifles home a strike into the bottom left corner from 20 yards out. Robertson sees a cross into the box. Repelled by the Croatia defense, McGregor is the first to react, and he does not hesitate. In lining up the strike, he connects with a blast on his right foot, and it travels through the crowd of defenders before beating Livakovic 1-1 into the break. And in the second half, um, it's well, at the break, it's all square. Group D clash between Croatia and Scotland at Hampden Park. Nikola Vaslic put Croatia ahead. Ivan Perisic's knockdown um, would would set him up. However, Scotland responded with their first Euro goal since Euro '96. Shout out to uh, to, to its coming to football's coming home. 
three Lions. Uh, I played that a, f a few days ago. However, Scotland responded, like we said, and McGregor pounced the loose ball on the edge of the area, rifled the effort into the back of the net. The game remains in the balance, but it would not be for long. 62nd minute, and it is the man, the captain, the symbol of this Croatian team, none other than Luka Modric, who scores an absolute beauty of a goal, a worldly, as, as Fade, my play, would say. Um, Dalisic men regain the lead through a brilliant strike from Modric. Uh, with the outside of his right boot, Croatian, uh, Croatia sustained pressure down the left before Kovacic rolls an offload into the path of the skipper. Modric lets fly, and his effort soars into the top left corner. 2-1 to one for Croatia. Mateo Kovacic picking up the assist. And Scotland press on, though. Scotland have the belief. There's one thing that this Scotland side does not lack. It is the belief. What they lack in their footballing ability, if you will. And don't get me wrong. These are professional international players. I'm not saying that. But where they don't necessarily measure up to the other teams in their footballing ability, they definitely make up for in their heart and determination and fight Ryan Frazier is subbed on in the 70th to replace Stuart Armstrong, while Croatia makes a couple substitutions of their own. Andrei Kramaric comes on for Bruno Petkovic, and Borna Barisic replaces Joshko Gravidal. And Frazier has a good opportunity, but he, he, he squanders it by uh, placing it over the goal. And then... Kovacic turns in space in the 74th, and he drills an effort through a crowd of players, but his attempt is straight at Marshall. Another substitution, Ivanusic Ivan uh, replaces the goal scorer, Blasic. And the game is put on ice and settled in the 77th minute. A cross from Luka Modric finds the head of, of Ivan Perisic, who gets just enough of it. To put it into the far post, he he gives he gives Scotland no chance on this one as he gets up, gets higher, and gets the better of Tyranny on the plate and puts it off the far post into the goal. 3-1 to Croatia. Ante Rebic comes on in the 81st for Perisic. Uh, Scotland try a double substitution. Kevin Nisbet and Nathan Patterson are on. Stephen O'Donnell and Shea Adams are off. But that's all they could muster up. It looks like the tank of gas is on empty. And the fighting Scots just ran out of gas here. Um, a lot of heart in this tournament. But when you play with all heart, it's hard to keep that up for a hundred. Sorry, 270 minutes for three matches in a week like this. And in the end, Croatia do enough. They win by two and they pass the Czech Republic. In goal difference. So the table looks like this in Group D. England win the group on 7 points. Croatia and Czech Republic on 4. Croatia with the goal with the tiebreaker. Because they both have a plus 1 goal difference. But Croatia has scored 4 goals to Czech Republic's 3. But they both advance nonetheless. Looking ahead now. We will um, talk about the round of 16 a little bit. And where... These two teams are going like we saw these. What do we have? Four, 
five teams that advanced today. Um, we know England are going to play the third-place team from Group F, and again, it could be France, Germany, or Portugal. It could even be Hungary. They're probably hoping it's Hungary. But um, I think it's going to be a very tough matchup for England in that round because the level of the opponent is just going to spike at this point. You're going to go from playing Scotland, the Czech Republic, and a Croatia that was not firing yet. <laughs> um, they got... They got probably the the slowest and the le- least ready Croatia uh, out of all three matches. They played Croatia at the at the right time, no question about it. And I think that um, it's going to be a very very tough knockout game for England, no question about it. And if they win, they're headed to Rome, okay, and they're headed to possibly playing Italy. If my if if um, my memory of the bracket serves me right. No, it does not. I'm wrong on that one. Uh, okay, so I am wrong on that one. They will be playing. If they win, they will play the winner of the third place team from groups B, C, or D. And the winner of group E. And that we will know tomorrow who wins group E. Right now, the leader in group E is Sweden, who have advanced. But um, if Sweden beat beat Poland tomorrow, they will win the group. If Slovakia beat Spain and Sweden don't beat Poland, Slovakia will win the group. If Spain and Poland win, Spain will win the group. So it's going to be an interesting um, final match day for Group E as well. And as I look at the tournament table, so here's the matchups we have so far. We know Italy will play Austria on June the 26th. That's a 3 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on Saturday. We also know that on the same day, Wales will take on Denmark. Croatia are waiting for the runner-up of Group E. Belgium waiting for the third-place team from either Groups A, E, or F. We'll know that tomorrow, while the Netherlands wait for third place from groups D and F. Um, and I think I, I misspoke. I said England was going to play the third place group from the third place team from Group F. They're going to play the runner up from Group F, which I did say earlier would likely be either France or Germany. But that is where the tournament bracket sits right now. Uh, quickly looking at tomorrow's matches, okay. I've talked about these before. This is teams that I talk about quite a bit. Um, I'll start with the early ones. Slovakia versus Spain. That is, I mean, at some point, Spain have to start putting the ball in the goal. I think at some point, they're going to they're gonna click enough to do that. Uh, Slovakia have a tall task ahead of them. But they may come out and play for the draw. And they may be, you know, play some stiff defense, drop a low-lying block. And keep the Spanish in all their possession in front of them. That's what Slovakia need to do. And I think that they're perfectly capable to do that. It is um, something that is up in the air, of course. Spain is going to need help if they're going to win the group. Uh, They're going to need help from Poland. Sweden will probably like to win this group. Um, Again, Spain will be playing in Seville, while Sweden will be playing in St. Petersburg. So um, 
these games happening on opposite ends of the continent. But they're they're kicking off early tomorrow. They're the noon kickoff time tomorrow here on the east coast of the United States. And it will be a 6 o'clock local time in, in Spain and, I don't know, 9 o'clock, I think, in St. Petersburg. So it'll be very, very interesting to see how this group plays out tomorrow. Again, nobody is out yet, so each team holds their fate in their own hand. And I guess we talked about the negative of having third-place teams advance. One of the positives of having third-place teams advance is that you get to the final day, and most of the time nobody's eliminated yet. Everybody still has something to play for, and they're not just waiting for help from the other game because, again, any team that takes a victory in this group tomorrow will have four points and will advance as one of the top third-place teams. We now know. We now know that... Um, three points you're going to have to have to, to advance on three points. You won't know for sure until after Portugal play, but they have a plus one goal difference. So if you have a negative goal difference, three points is, you know, you're putting your, your fate in the hands of France and their willingness to score multiple goals. And, and I actually, when I get to that game, I think that they're going to be motivated to do that, to be honest. But, again, groupie wide open. If I had to pick, well, if I was putting money on it, I'd go with Spain and Sweden to win. Or I'd, I'd take a, I would take Spain to win and possibly a draw in the Sweden-Poland game. But I don't, I'm not doing that this tournament. So I am thinking with my heart instead. And I'm looking at a draw in Slovakia, Spain. And I'm looking at Sweden to win and win the group surprisingly. Although I feel for Robert Lewandowski, I want to see him continue to play. So we'll see how that plays out. Group F, in Munich, you have Germany versus Hungary. And in Budapest, Portugal versus Spain. I have a hard time doubting Germany. I Even when they lost to France, I, I had all kinds of good things to say about them. I trust Germany to do their job. Um, yes, they had a hiccup at the World Cup two years ago. Yes, they they you know should have been relegated in the Nations League, and UEFA quickly changed that and added teams so that that didn't happen. But and yeah, they had they had a tough run. They lost six nil to Spain in qualifying. They lost to North Macedonia in World Cup qualifying. But none of that matters right now. When when you're on the big stage and the lights are on and the world is watching, I trust Germany to get the job done. They are so professional and so clinical in what they do. I have a hard time believing they don't beat Hungary tomorrow and get six points. Okay, and then in Portugal, and then in Portugal and France, it's it's um this is a toss up. It does it depends which Portugal is going to show up and which France is going to show up to be honest. Neither of them looked good in the last match day. Um I am not wildly confident in Portugal to get a result. I am confident that they will keep it to to a one-goal loss, maybe even a two-goal loss at worst. Um, although I really think Sp uh, France would love to eliminate them as sweet revenge for the 2016 final. Yes, they went on to win the World Cup after, and you'd think that that was in the past, but I think that they would love absolutely love to eliminate Portugal here and to get them out and to pro 
not give Portugal another chance to play them later. Okay, the problem with having a strong group like this is you know you probably have to play one of these teams twice. And you never want to play a team in a tournament and then give them two weeks to learn from the the previous match and then face them again in it where the stakes are even higher. That is the potential that Germany, France, and Portugal run into is if all three get out of the group, there's a good chance if they win, you know, that they're going to see each other again. The road to the final goes through those those teams. I think Port. I'm fairly confident, and I'm going to sleep well tonight, expecting Portugal to at the very least not lose by more than two goals, which, again, I got so much heat on Twitter when I simply posted the mathematics of it, and I said that if Portugal... Don't lose by more than two goals. They will likely advance provided Hungary don't beat Germany. And I'm being told that that's the kind of attitude that's going to get them beat 5-0. I didn't say that we should approach this game and say, hey, at all costs. No, I said that the mathematical formula, what needs to happen, concrete, not objective, not what type of football you want to see or what attitude. I'm saying what needs to happen in a concrete mathematical result is that Portugal need to not lose by more than two goals. I hope they get the draw. It's going to be tough because France, I think, will want to win the league. Although France may say, hey, second place ain't bad. We got England. They're afraid of us. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I expect Germany to win. And I think France probably win 1-0 or 2-1. Um, I like Portugal to get a goal in, in this game as well. Uh, I don't expect them to go down dying. and uh, Or I, sh- I should say I don't expect them to lay dead and just go home. I think their late, late goal against Germany is going to end up being the catalyst that propels them into the round of 16. That goal from Diogo Jota, thanks to... Cristiano Ronaldo running down a ball that was off target and managing to force it across the face of goal for the tap-in. At the end of the day, I do. when that goal went in, I did say to my wife that that was going to be the goal that, that put them in the next round because if they had lost by three, they'd be at a zero, even goal difference, and we're talking a whole different story right now. And this way, they are at a positive goal difference. They're at plus one. They get a draw, they're in. It doesn't matter. But if they lose... By one, they're at zero. They'll still go through. If they lose by two, they'll be at negative one. They'll be tied with Ukraine but have scored more goals than Ukraine. So they will have that tiebreaker and they will advance. So I'm going to I'm gonna take France to win two to one tomorrow uh, and Portugal to advance to take on. It looks like it's going to be the Netherlands, I guess. Um, it depends on who makes it out of the other groups as well. But uh, that is basically it for this episode number 53 um stay if you're listening to the podcast feed stay on the show here don't don't delete it just yet don't stop it yet because after the after i sign off you're gonna get a bonus segment covering copa america okay a quick recap of the latest matches of copa america but for everybody watching live or watching it after the fact on youtube on www.parkinthebus media.com or on the periscope facebook wherever you're watching it um i'm hoping that the signal was better today i did i went out and got myself a little wi-fi booster so i'm hoping 
that the image and that the signal was better today. Hopefully it was worth it. Um, I see a low signal right now, which is not good. But uh, that's going to do it for this episode. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Hope everyone's enjoying the football. We've got one day left of the group stage. And then just like that, the group stage is over. And we'll be talking knockout stage, but not before we get a few nights off, which I am going to thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy the rest. All right. Thank you, everybody. Don't forget to follow me at PTB underscore media on Instagram and on Twitter. Go ahead and hit me up with the DM with any comments, any questions, any complaints, concerns, whatever, whatever's on your mind. Feel free to hit me up. Uh, I love interacting with everybody. And I'm going to sign off to Mr. Mike Agustinio saying good night and I'll see you tomorrow. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast here on the PTB Media Network, your English language home of Copa Libertadores. And welcome back to Parking the Bus, episode 53, bonus content now, exclusive podcast uh, coverage of Copa America to go along with our Euro 2020 coverage. So we're going to get right into it. Um, We're going to pick up. This is match day. I want to say it's match day three. It's kind of confusing because teams have buys now. But, yes, it's part of match day three here. And we're going to pick it up on Sunday as it's going to be Sunday, January, uh, June the 20th, excuse me. And the first match on the docket is Venezuela versus Ecuador. And this match is being pl- was played, I should say, at the Stadio Nilton Santos, better known as the Ingenieur in Rio de Janeiro. And the referee is from Chile. His name is Roberto Tobar. Let's look at the lineups, starting with Venezuela. We've talked about Venezuela before and the difficulties they're having due to COVID and having their almost their entire team test positive. They've got 12 new players. They had to fly in just to feel the team. So, José Cruzeiro is going with a 5-4-1 once again. Wuliker Farinas is the goalkeeper, the five across the back. The two wingbacks are Johan Kumana on the left and... Alexander Gonzalez on the right. The three center backs, Jose Velasquez, Luis Martinez, and Luis Del Pino. The four in midfield, Jose Martinez on the right. Junior Moreno in the center along with Edson Castillo. And on the left, Christian Caceres Junior. The striker once again is Fernando Aristigueta. This is uh, the team that Cusero runs out just about every match. Um, very, very consistent with what he's doing with this team is they're going to fight and claw and try to get themselves to the knockout stages here. At the other end, Gustavo Alfaro sends out uh, his Ecuador side in a 4-4-2. Pedro Ortiz is the goalkeeper. Angelo Preciado is the right back. Robert Arboleda and Piero Hincapi. The central defenders with Pervis Estupiñan on the left. Angel Mena is the right-sided midfielder with Jensen Mendez and Moises Caicedo in the center. Eduard Preciado is the left midfielder. And then the legend, if you will, the one of the Ecuadorian legends, Inner Valencia, the captain, the former Monterrey uh, star. He 
sorry, not Monterrey. I would get killed for making that mistake. The former Tigres star of Liga MX Inter Valencia, he gets to start up front with Leonardo Campagna. So again, these are the two teams going into this one, and these these are two teams that desperately needed points in order to book it. Basically, to get out of the group stage in this Copa America, you have four matches. It's two groups of five. You basically have to win one match, and you will get out of the group and get to the quarterfinals. Um, so this was a big match for both teams. In the fifth minute, it is Inner Valencia with a left-footed shot from a difficult angle on the left, but he misses left. Uh, he had been set up by Preciado. And Christian Caceres has an opportunity for Venezuela one minute later, but it's blocked. He has a right-footed shot from the center of the box. Had been set up by Jose Martinez. Um, Venezuela again, Luis Del Pino. He has a left-footed shot from the center of the box, but his shot is blocked as Christian Caceres put in another brilliant cross. Is Venezuela showing some real heart here? Um, Fernando Aristigueta is caught offside after a nice through ball from Edson Castillo in the eighth minute, and then we start to get we start to get uh, Ecuador starting to get some control in the match. Moises Casedo with an attempt in the fourteenth. Piero Hincapi in the fifteenth. Uh, Junior Moreno tries a through ball to Christian Caceres for Venezuela in the 17th, but he is offside. Uh, we move on. Inner Valencia goes in the referee's book for a foul on Luis Martinez. That's in the 20th minute. And then another attempt for Ecuador. It's Leonardo Campaña, a header from very close range, but he heads it over the bar just too high, getting on the end of a cross from Pervis Estupiñan. Finally, though, however, in the 38th, we finally break the deadlock. And it is Ecuador breaking the deadlock. Preciado, Eduard Preciado, also known as Ayrton Preciado. Right-footed shot from very close range to the high center of the goal. He beats Farinas, and he is assisted by Robert Arboleda following a set-piece uh, situation that came from a foul. Um, and that will take us to halftime with the score 1-0 for Ecuador in the second half. Venezuela trying to get back into the into the match, trying to get level. And in the 50th minute, they do exactly that. It is minute 50, and it is Edson Castillo with an attempt from the center of the box to the top right corner, set up by Jose Martinez with the cross, and Castillo makes it 1-1 for the uh, Vino Tinto as they get back in this match and they still believe that they can get out of this group considering everything they've been through. This is quite a remarkable and admirable fight and performance that, that El Vino Tinto, the Venezuelan national team, is putting out in this competition. Substitution in the 56th minute, uh, Cusero Sends on Sergio Cordoba. He replaces Fernando Aristigueta. While uh, Ecuador get another chance here in the 60th. Moises Casado with a header from the center of the box. Right at the goalkeeper Farinez. 
the cross again came in from Estupiñan, a a up and coming player, a very good player. That Pervis Estupiñan. Uh, if you haven't seen Ecuadorian football, uh, if you haven't seen the Ecuadorian team play, you may have seen him play for Villarreal in La Liga. Of course, he won the Europa League this year, and that is a name that you should remember. Pervis Estupiñan. Um, moving forward, 66. It's an, it's another attempt. It's Venezuela again. Alexander Gonzalez this time. Right footed shot from the right side of the box. Misses left. Substitutions again in the 66th and 67th. And it is Ecuador. On comes Christian Novoa for Jackson Mendes. And Gonzalo Plata of Sporting Lisbon replaces Angel Mena. And it's Venezuela again with another chance. Luis Del Pino one more time. Uh, he misses to the left, set up by Christian Caceres following a corner. Um, a chance for Sergio Cordoba in the 69th minute, but it is blocked. In the 70th, it is Gonzalo Plata for Ecuador. Uh, left footed shot from the center of the box, saved in the center of the goal by Farinez. Christian Novoa for Ecuador with an opportunity also uh, just a minute later, but it is blocked. But then in the 70th, still in the 70th, it is Gonzalo Plata of Sporting Lisbon. Left-footed shot from very close range into the bottom right corner following a, a turnover and a fast break out. And Gonzalo Plata makes it 2-1 to one to Ecuador. Venezuela's heads dropped. They have played well, but they're very unlucky to find themselves on the wrong end of the scoreline right now. But they do not give up as José Cosedo, the Portuguese manager, sends on two more substitutes. It's Ronald Hernández for Johan Cumana and Jan Hurtado replacing José Andreas Martínez. And they continue to push. But caught on a counter here, and it is Inner Valencia. Right-footed shot from the center of the box, but he he's close, but he misses. Just right, set up by the man who scored the second goal, Gonzalo Plata. And then Moises Casado goes into the referee's book in the 80th as he's shown the yellow card for a foul on Luis Martinez. Another substitution, another double substitution, I should say, for Venezuela. On comes Bernardo Manzano. In place of Christian Caceres. And Richard Celis replaces Junior Moreno. Uh, Ecuador make a couple substitutes of, substitutions of their own. Alan Franco replaces Ener Valencia. And Fidel Martinez replaces Eduard Preciado. But then in the 90th minute when it looked like it was done. When it looked like Ecuador could celebrate their passage to the next round. It was Ronald Hernandez, who comes out of nowhere to get a header, gets on the end of a ball that was beautifully played in by Edson Castillo. Ronald Hernandez, of course, the Atlanta United uh, forward, gets on the end of it. And yes, MLS represents as Venezuela level in the 90th minute and keep their hopes alive of surviving in this tournament. A brilliant ball played in. By by Edson Castillo and Venezuela get the late goal, breaking the hearts of Ecuador. Ecuador would get a few more attempts. 90th plus 5, Gonzalo Plata once again with the header, but it's saved in the center of the goal. He, he got on the end of a cross from Fidel Martinez, but Fariñez was there. 
Preciado with an attempt in the 90th plus 6, but it misses to the left. Finally, in the 90th plus 7, the referee blows his whistle for full time. Venezuela 2, Ecuador 2. The other match on Sunday night placed Colombia versus Peru. And this one would take place in the Estadio, in the Estadio Olímpico Pedro Ludovico Teixeira in Goiânia. Goiás, Brazil, of course. Esteban Ostich is the referee. He's from Uruguay. Here is the lineup for Peru. Uh, Pedro Galese is the goalkeeper. 4-2-3-1. Again, we've talked every night about how popular this, this system of play and this formation is. Um, the right back is Aldo Corzo. Christian Ramos and Alexander Callens are the center back pair with Marcos Lopez on the left. The double pivot in midfield has Renato Tapia teaming up with Yoshi Mario Tun. Andre Carrillo. Sergio Pena and Christian Cueva are the three attacking midfielders behind the striker Gianluca Lapadula. For Colombia, 4-4-2 for them. David Ospina is the goalkeeper. John Medina, Jerry Mina, Davidson Sanchez, and William Telcillo, the four in the back. Juan Cordado, Wilmar Varios, Sebastian Perez, and Edwin Cardona, the four in midfield, while Miguel Borja, uh, Partners with Duvan Zapata up front. Duvan Zapata, of course, uh, a name you probably know if you are a fan of Italian Serie A. He plays for Atalanta, while Miguel Borja plays for Junior Barranquilla in the Colombian League. And, and it is Peru who get on the score sheet first. It is Seb- Sebastian, sorry, no, it is Sergio Pena. He scores in the 17th minute. In the 53rd, Miguel Borja levels from the penalty spot. While Mina gets an own goal for, or it's, it should say, the deciding goal for Peru comes off an own goal off of Colombian defender Jerry Mina. And that would be uh, the nail in the coffin here for this, at least as far as this match is concerned. For Colombia, their struggles continue. Peru take all three points. And let's take a look at the table now. In the Zona Norte, uh, as you know, um, Brazil had the bye on this match day. So Brazil are still top of the group. Two matches played, two victories, six six points, seven goals for none allowed. Colombia miss out on the chance to go top of the group with that loss as they have four points and sit in second. Peru, two matches played, three points, one win, one loss, two goals for, five against. Fourth right now is Venezuela holding a minimal edge over Ecuador. However, Ecuador have a match in hand. Now, moving on to Monday's matchups uh, in the, the Zona Sud or in the Grupo Sud. It is Uruguay taking on Chile in this match was being played at the Arena Pantanal in Cuiabá, Mato Grosso. And the referee was from Brazil, was Rafael Klaus. And here is the lineup for Uruguay. Fernando Muslera, the goalkeeper, 4-3-1-2. A little different variation of the system that's so popular. The four in the back, Giovanni Gonzalez is the right back. Jose Jimenez and Diego Godin, the center back pairing. While Matias Biña 
of Inter Porto Alegre. The left-sided defender, three in midfield, Matias Vecino in the center, Nicolas de la Cruz to his left, and Federico Valverde to his right. And they're playing behind the number 10 and the attacking midfielder, Georgian da Hascaeta of Flamengo. And in front of him, he has the two Uruguayan legends, Luis Suarez of Atletico Madrid and Edison Cavani of Manchester United. For Chile, they come out in a 3-4-1-2. Claudio Bravo, their longtime goalkeeper and captain in between the pipes. Guillermo Maripan is the, is the right center back with Gary Mendel, play, Mendel playing as the deep-lying center back, and Francisco Sierra Alta is the left center back. Four in midfield, Mauricio Isla on the right, Eric Pulgar, Charles Aranguis, sorry, Charles Aranguis, and Eugenio Mena playing behind the attacking midfielder Arturo Vidal, and in front of Arturo are the strikers Eduardo Vargas, and the English-born Ben Breton. Uh, he is, of course, of Chilean English descent. And um, interestingly enough, is, is, is growing into his role despite the fact that he does not speak any Spanish. Um, he is growing, in, and they, they call him now Breton Diaz in, in uh, England. He plays for Blackburn Rovers. And if you go to Blackburn Rovers' store, you can buy a Breton Diaz t-shirt um, as he's becoming somewhat of a folk hero there in your in uh, England so again this is a match that promised a lot but it really didn't deliver um, a lot of fouls a lot of a lot of tackles a lot of 50-50s a lot of uh, scrums in this match but it got off to a, a good start when Eduardo, Eduardo Vargas uh, opened the score sheet in the 26th minute, but a Arturo Vidal own goal in the 66th, which looked to be a goal for Luis Suarez. Luis Suarez celebrated it like it was his, but afterwards uh, replay showed that it came off the leg of Arturo Vidal. One to one, neither team could snag the three points late, and a share of the spoils go to each team. And then in the nightcap, it was Argentina taking on Paraguay. And it was, again, a match that started well and then went very much dead for the for the duration of it. Um, the man of the match in this one was Nahuel Molina of Argentina. Let's quickly go through their lineups. Uh, Argentina starts with Emiliano Martinez, Nahuel Molina, Cristian Romero, Herman Pazella, and Nicolas Tagliafico. Those are the four in the back. Guido Rodriguez partners with uh, with Leandro Paredes in the holding in the double pivot in midfield. Behind the three attacking midfielders, Angel Di Maria on the right, Lionel Messi in the center, and Alejandro Gomez on the left. And the striker in this match was Sergio Aguero. Uh, for Paraguay, their goalkeeper was Anthony Silva, Alberto Espinola, Gustavo Gomez, uh, Junior Alonso, and Santiago. Arzamendia are the four in the back. Andreas Cubas, Robert Pires are the double pivot. Three attacking midfielders in front of them. Miguel Almiron, former Atlanta United, uh, now Newcastle United uh, midfielder. Partners with Alejandro Romero and Angel Romero in midfield. And Gabriel Avalos is the striker. 
Again, a 12th minute goal here for Gomez, for Alejandro Gomez of Argentina, was the difference as the the Paraguayans were unable to get on the board and unable to, to take a point from this one. Argentina slowly but surely creeping their way towards the top of the group, and they're going to want to win this group in order to avoid Brazil in the in the knockout stage until the final, obviously. And you know, Comnebol really, really want to see Brazil and Argentina in the final in the empty Maracanã on July the tenth, and um, that that is the ongoing storyline to see if that happens, but. There's eight other teams in this competition that want to be there as well. So um, right now, Argentina, though they're not playing amazing, though they're not uh, winning over anybody with their play, they are getting the results and slowly but surely making their way towards that final. They are in the knockout stage, and they look set to win the group. Let's look at the table quickly. This is, of course, the Grupo Sud, and it is Argentina in the lead after three match days. Three matches played, seven points. Chile are second with five. Paraguay third with three. Uruguay are fourth right now with just one point, just the point they got here against Chile, but they've only played two matches, while Bolivia have played two matches, and they have two defeats. Zero points for Bolivia, and it could be difficult for Bolivia to get out of this group um coming up for bolivia they have matches against uruguay on thursday june the 24th then on monday they play argentina and those are the two matches they got left they got to try to get try to get three points to to leapfrog when they play uruguay that's really going to be the match to try to advance but i just read you the lineup come on that uruguay team has so much talent i don't care how old they are when you've got guys like cavani and suarez and and even de hascaeta if you don't watch the brazilian league this guy's phenomenal okay they they've got him they've got vecino they've got they've got a loaded team even off the coming off the bench they had jonathan rodriguez of cruz azul in the mexican league i mean they this is a talented talented team and there's no reason for them to be you know, near the bottom. Of course, Uruguay still have a couple of matches to play. They've only played two. They got two more to go. And they will be playing against, obviously, Bolivia next. And then after that, they will take on Paraguay on Monday. So they got two chances to get some points. And um, obviously, if they beat Bolivia, they will eliminate Bolivia and they will be through to the quarterfinals themselves. All right. Uh, upcoming matchups in Copa America. So the next match day now will be on, it'll actually be when you're listening to this on Wednesday, uh, June the 23rd, and it's back to the Grupo Norte, and, or Grupo Norte, whether you want the Portuguese or the Spanish pronunciation. Ecuador ho- play host, I guess you could say, an official host. Uh, Ecuador will play in Goiania against Peru, while Brazil will play Colombia in an exciting matchup uh, in the nightcap at the Ingenio. And um, 
Of course, these matches are available on Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2. The Brazil match, uh, specifically against Colombia, will be available on Fox Sports 1. Brazil, with the victory, obviously will win the group and and also likely avoid Argentina until the final. So, again, I like Brazil in this competition. They, they look ahead and shoulders above the rest. They're playing at home. Um, I think they've got the best team. I think they're in the best form. And to me, this looks like uh, unless they really, really slip up, they are going to lift this trophy once again. They're going to repeat as winners of this Copa America. Then Thursday, Thursday, you got Bolivia taking on Uruguay, as we said, and Chile taking on Paraguay. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Parking the Bus, episode 53. Thank you for staying with me here uh, through these extra 20 minutes or so. Thank you for listening. Um, Hope you enjoy the Copa America coverage as well. And I'll be back tomorrow with the final day, the final day of the Euro 2020 group stage. All right, there's four matches to talk about tomorrow. Uh, Hopefully, Fades will be here with me and we can break them down because it's going to be a lot to break down. But at this time tomorrow, we will know all of the matchups in the round of 16. Thank you for joining. This is the Mr. Mike Augustine. You don't forget, follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at PTB underscore media. Check out the website, www.parkingthebusmedia.com. And if you want, feel free to email me as well. If email is your preferred method of communication, the address is ptbmedianetwork at gmail.com. I'll see you tomorrow, everybody. In a pool of light Electricity in the room tonight Born from fire Sparks flying from the sun Hey, I hardly know you Can I confess I feel your heart Beating in my chest If you come with me Tonight is gonna be the one Cause you fail and no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat in the night There's an image of you in my mind Could be mad but you might just be right Cause you fail, no fear for the fight 
You pull hope from defeat in the night There's an image of you in my mind Could be mad, but you might just be right